Happy Tuesday. Good morning, everybody. It's the 25th of January. It is. It's also, or that means it is Celebrate's birthday. Oh. Happy birthday, Celebrate. Happy birthday, Celebrate. Doesn't that make you want to celebrate? I knew you were yeah. going to do well, it. Well, I didn't, but I did. You, you I totally mean, did. But I didn't plan it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good. But it does make wasn't me wasn't premeditated. I just want to celebrate. Okay. Good times. Come, Come on. on. <laughs> what a team. I don't know. I don't know if Happy I'm birthday, part of celebrate. this team. <laughs> I am part of this team, but you sometimes are. I don't know. I get roped into these things. Well, it was it was voluntary, I think. Was it? Yeah, you oh. chose to participate. Okay. Okay, yeah, I'll let it be choice. That's good. No oh, good. Well, <laughs> happy birthday celebration. Yes, all that to say happy yeah. birthday to you. We're very happy. Yeah. So, this is Tuesday. It is Tuesday. It we feel slightly discombobulated. It, we just didn't podcast last week, but when we miss a week it feels longer. Yeah. And it discombobulates. Yeah. I just like that word. I know. Mm-hmm. So I just, I was supporting you. Thank you. You were, yeah. Right. So. So we will not have podcasts in February as we prepare for winter tea. Yes. So this will be our last one until after winter tea. Yes. So it gives you time. It does. We like time. <laughs> What does it give time for? It gives it gives every person listening time to catch up on previous podcasts. Indeed. And be ready for what Papa has to say in February. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, it's the first time we've done it. That, you know, just paused so that we could prepare for winter tea. And it, it feels nice. It feels like what he has for us to do. So we will miss you those weeks. We'll still be having to gather and live stream and all that, but we just won't have podcasts. Yes. But, and that's, and that's awesome. Cause you know, I gotta be honest, some of these podcasts have been pretty intense over the last <laughs> six months. Yeah. And so if you've missed one catch up and if you need to re-listen to one, you get to do that, and you have weeks to do that. So that's hopefully everyone will get to and will mm-hmm. respond to that. Yeah, but we will have live stream tonight. Yay! Yay! So that'll be nice. It is. I think it's always nice. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are. We are here. It's nice. Yeah. Have our tea. Oh, and good our, morning tea to y'all. We have our Snoopy. We did, yeah. Mugs. We didn't switch back. During the holidays, we were using our Snoopy mugs instead of our morning tea. And Snoopy got an extra week. He did, (laughs) yeah, or two. Yeah, Yeah, he's cute. So um, this week, there's some things Papa actually was talking about over a month now, probably weeks and weeks, five weeks or so. Papa's been talking about this, but it's been one of those, but I've, I've just been holding on to waiting for its timing. Um, but there are some things that Jesus said in the Bible that because it's Jesus, of course, we embrace them. We're so excited that Jesus said them and we want to, um, we want to, uh, 
hold them dear. You know, we don't want to discard something just because it's weird or just because it's different or just because we don't understand it, but we want to really take a look at it. And we also want to, if you will, be accountable to it because Jesus said it, you know, and this is this is Jesus. So, but one of one of the ways to look at how things were 2000 years ago is to understand who Jesus was talking to, what the world was like back then. And and even though Jesus certainly spoke outside of time, we still understand he was talking to a particular people at a particular time. And so, there is an application to them, and there's an application to us. And uh, knowing that, that that was happening, I think, is really helpful, uh, especially when it comes to digesting some of the crazier things that... Um, that we have to look at. And I, I love this. This is actually the kind of thing that I really dig because it's, it's good to extract these and really look at them. So, to get to the context of where we're going today, we, we need to understand that Jesus is always revealing our need for God. Jesus is always revealing that there's something in our hearts that is foreign to God, that's not God, that, that separates us from God. And, and if you know Jesus, then you know that what Jesus's motivation in this, as led by the Spirit and the will of Papa, is that we would know that there's stuff there that's separating us and that the priority is not guilt or condemnation, the priority is for us to recognize that that's happening. And in this case, um, while it is 100% appropriate to apply this to what we're doing day by day, it's also very good to see the high level to this specifically to what degree we judge. And I'm not going to read the classic judge ones, but um, but I think there are some things Jesus said that truly reveal how we can judge ourselves and others. So, listen to this um, awesome expression of Jesus in Matthew 5, starting in verse 29. So, Jesus, and this is, you know this, this is classic, but let's just absorb it for a minute. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. So, wow. It's just, you know, what the courage it takes to just read that. You know, it's like, dang. <laughs> and, and you know, the first thing that we're going to get to um, look at here is, obviously, Jesus is not saying this to be a supporter of self-mutilation, right? That's not, that's not the point here. The point here is for us to understand that there are temporal things and there are eternal things. 
and the temporal things that interfere with the eternal things are are not worth it. You know, it's not worth it to have something that is interfering with the e- eternal implications. And can we extract that? That is so um, life-changing if we always understand that there's, there is something to life that is temporal. It's, it's, not, it's not eternal. It's not impacting the eternal. And a lot of times we can make those choices both for ourselves and in our interactions with others. And, and to prioritize those things that um, draw us to God versus the things that separate us from God. So, this word stumble, we're going we're gonna to hang on to here. And uh, it's actually, of course, because we have a Greek Matthew, even though um, the, the, um, the historical records of the last 1,500 to 2,000 years ago would indicate that, that the first version of Matthew very likely was written in Hebrew. But we have a Greek one, so we get to deal with that now. And I, I didn't look all of this up in my, my little cheat sheets for the Hebrew Matthew. But anyway, so um, the word is uh, skandalizo. And skandalizo, I believe, and I'm pretty sure is, uh, one of the root words that got sort of carried through from Greek to Latin and from Latin to all of our modern languages. And um, we wouldn't maybe know it as scandalous. And, um, and scandalous is, I, I think, you know, it's, it's about the things we do that offend others. The things that we do that... Um, that would betray how people see us or how they would see God. And if you look at to what degree our beloved, our Elohim, Papa, our Father, El Shaddai, our Holy Spirit, and Yeshua, Jesus, our King, and how they have had a real ding in their reputation because of the actions of people who do things in their name and, and in the name of God and in the name of Jesus. And people see that. And Jesus has just had a real bad reputation. You know, God is getting a bad reputation because of the actions of people. And we are getting a bad reputation. So, if you think of someone who's, you know, and, and this is one of those sort of out there uh, uh, analogies, but if you think of someone who's kind of on a pedestal, someone who is popular, someone who is um, respected, someone who is well-known, um, who has like a fall from grace or whatever. They, they, they do something that taints 
that image people have of them. And, um, and some of them recover and some of them don't. You know, the, the Me Too movement, um, a lot of people were exposed as having done some things that were poor judgment. And they, to this day so far, have not recovered. You know, they've, they've actually lost um, their place, if you will, in, in the view of others. And, and I really think that Jesus is, in so many ways, talking about how our lives affect other people and how, when we live a life, it affects other people. But it, it also is about our perception of others. And so, it's, it's how we judge ourselves and how we are judged, and it's also how we judge others. And, and all of this is being revealed in two verses, you know, which is a lot if you think about it, is, wow, look at how I'm viewing other people. Do I, do I hold them in esteem? Okay. Do I have them on a pedestal? Whoops. You know, maybe that's something that Jesus is saying we need to take a look at, of holding people on this pedestal where, you know, they're without flaw, like, like as if anyone is without flaw besides the one who is holy, the one who is pure, which is really God and, and our King who was without, without sin, without defect or impurity. And so to what degree we're doing that, but then also if somebody falls to what degree we have removed grace from them, or if one of us falls to what degree somebody puts that, on us, you know, where it's like no grace and there's a real judgment that takes place. So, just that is, is enough to just reside. Like, wow, we could reside there and really, really um, savor it. So, here's Matthew 18, and this is verse 6 through 9. And Jesus uses the same language here, but, but it really grows, I think, it grows what Jesus did in Matthew 5. So, so sorry, you know, take a deep breath and here we go. So, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, so there's our word stumble, which is scandalizo again. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. <laughs> go, Jesus, go. So, and, and I'm going to keep going, but, but let me pause to say this. So, remember, this is Matthew 18. So, Jesus is talking about to enter the kingdom, you must become like one of these little ones, which is um, verse three, and and what he's talking about there is is that belief in Jesus and that trust in God as source, like a little child. You know, a little child trusts in God as their source of everything. If God doesn't do it, they don't they don't have it. That's like a child. Remember, children are sitting at the table waiting for us to bring them food because they're 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 babies, they're kids, they're they're wholly dependent upon their parents to do that for them. And that was one of the points Jesus was making. And, and also remember, 2,000 years ago, there was no religion of Christianity. It didn't exist when Jesus was alive, of course. He hadn't even been crucified. 
um, there was there were the people of God in covenant with the God of Abraham and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, the the people of God of the twelve tribes of Israel, but you didn't have Christianity. So for for a little one, for someone to believe in Jesus, it was a big deal then. And that's a part of the context of the time. It's like, wow, I mean, this is this is not just someone who is a member of the religion. This is, you know, of Christianity. This is not just somebody who goes to church. This is not just somebody who was raised in a Christian home. This is somebody who believes in him and it costs them something, right? And really in the context of this, somebody who sees God as their source of everything. Jesus is always setting aside how precious it is for us, all of us, to become people who believe in Jesus where there's a place of cost and where um, we choose God to be our source of everything. And, and what a big deal that is. That's like actually a very big deal. So Jesus is, is putting them in a place where they're on a journey towards betrothal. And that is very precious to Jesus. He knows. Jesus knows this big picture of of the importance of the church growing from belief to um, friendship and from friendship to children who trust God for everything and children who mature so that they can, if they choose, become one with Jesus and and how, how much of an ache there always was in Jesus's heart for that. And I'll I'll continue here and then come back. So, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. So, causes people to have that experience where they believe something and then there's a betrayal of that belief. Does that hit you? Mm -hmm. The betrayal of that belief. And so here's this little one who's depending in God. And then, and then, you know, so many times Jesus is talking to the leaders, you know, which would be the Pharisees in this case, or the Sadducees later, you know, and they're, they're representing God, right? They are saying and doing things in God's name, but it's not who God is. It's not love. And, and when there's such a betrayal like that, that it, um, it's such a tragedy, you know? And so, Jesus sees this, woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble or causes them to believe something and then have a betrayal and then stop believing. Woe to the world because, because these things are there. And Jesus says, such things must come. So, they must come because all must have that, that light, that that sets us free. We all want to be set free. But woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. So that's Matthew 18, 6 through 9. So there's just so much in this. And 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 the first thing any believer feels when they hear that 
is a almost a condemnation. You know, it's like a fear, like a dread that um, that we're actually not saved by grace. We're saved by works. And so, don't do that. Don't go there. That's not the point. The point in this is that is that Jesus is revealing the desperate need we all have for God. Jesus is revealing that in our hearts that that it is human nature to hide the things that would cause us shame, that would hide the things that we feel guilty about because we don't want to be exposed. And listen, if you see it in that from that perspective, Jesus is saying it's it's better to have an eye gouged out. It's better to have hands or feet cut off. You know, it's better to die than to hide those things. And and of course, you know, later in, in you know Luke 9, Jesus says, take up your cross and deny yourself daily, you know, which is whoever loses their life will gain it. And and all of that is the big picture of to what degree are we willing to boldly go to God and say, Papa, I too am a sinner. I too have selfishness. I too have, have all of the things that even the world, even I would see as deplorable, you know, that I would steal, kill, and destroy, that I would have greed, that I would um, cause another person to go down in order to save myself, that I protect myself, that I promote myself, that I do all of these things in covenant with the God who is love, love that is not self-seeking, right? Uh, We have to just keep God as love, 1 John 4, verse 8, and love is not self-seeking, which is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, in our forefront at all times, because we need to remember that that selfishness separates us from God. But it also, hiding that selfishness gives us a false um, celebrity. I'm not sure if, if I got that word right, but it's almost like when we hide our sin from God, which is, which is really the point, is that we yield our hearts to the light of Jesus so that God can reveal the hidden sins, the secret sins daily. That's part of our daily bread so that God will reveal those things and we're free. And then um, then we're set free from this, right? But we also aren't set up to be uh, scandalizo, right? We're not being set up for a scandal because we've hidden those things and, you know, it's like that, that person who said to me 13, almost 14 years ago, I'm praying for them. I don't sin. What are you talking about? I don't need to, I don't need to repent of anything. I don't sin. And, and it's like, no, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. And, and we want God to reveal those things. And, you know, the grace of God is so wonderful because we go to God in the light of his presence and he will reveal our secret sins so that we can lay them before the Lord, so that we can walk the journey of daily bread being healed of all of these things that are our 
um, hidden sin, our secret selfishness. So, remember, God is, God is not here to condemn us. That's not the point in any of that. The point is to rescue us. Um, today, just two days, three days ago in the news, um, there was this, this popped up in one of my, I don't know what, my social media things, but it was sad. It was like, oh my Lord, this actress, you know, very famous actress of the last 30 years, Oscar winning, multi-Emmy winning actress, Regina King, her only child is a son and he committed suicide. And, you know, I know there's a lot of theology out there about, you know, suicide. And if you commit suicide, you go to hell immediately and and all those kinds of things. It's a big question. But, you know, one of the things that suicide, one of the things that that kind of theology reveals is judgment, you know? And, And there is such a coldness to the love of the world that's just getting colder and colder and colder. And this is not a time for any of us to allow that coldness to come into our hearts, but for us rather to see that um, that when we judge others, when we jump to that conclusion that a person who committed suicide is going to hell or a person who died and, and you know, had made bad choices, right? That, that we're just, oh, well, you know, they deserved it. You know, that word, they deserved it. Oh, my Lord, Papa, banish that word from our mouths, you know, because who deserved, who deserves, you know, the consequence of sin more than me, right? I mean, isn't that the whole point of the kingdom of selfishness is that we hide the fact that, that we have been selfish too, but, you know, it's almost like you could take Matthew 18 and Jesus says it would be better to be drowned in the depths of the sea because stumbling and causing another person to stumble is, is like has the, the, the fruit of hell, right? The fruit of, um, of being consumed in the all-consuming fire of God. And, you know, if you understand the burning lake of sulfur, if you understand the all-consuming fire of God, you know that, that the point of that is to purify us. The point of that is to set us free. And, uh, and that's why we want to embrace that now, is we want to embrace the fire today and not be afraid of the fire when we die. And, and to never forget, you know, so, and I think there are people out there that, that just need to hear, you know, some of us, there are believers who have committed suicide. There are, um, there are people of love who just loved like you've never known before and they committed suicide and you're like, what is that? And with a theology out there that they're in hell, you know, I don't believe that, you know, that's, that's just when I read Matthew 18, I read Jesus saying, no, you know, that's not the case, that, um, that, that it is not their actions that, that condemned them, but it was their covenant. And so, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whomsoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. I mean, that, you know, you, you have to keep everything Jesus said together in in order to have the context of what he's saying. And even though I never 
would say, you know, that Paul trumps Jesus. But I think that the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul. And so, it's so crucial for us to complete everything we just read with Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 9. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, so that not by works uh, we're saved, so no one can boast. And so, don't hear Jesus's words through the filter of condemnation. Hear it through what Jesus is really saying to the church then and now, and that is for each of us to embrace the light. Let God reveal these secret sins, because it is the secret sins, the ones that we hide in darkness. That's the other kingdom. That the other kingdom is always constantly trying to use against us so that we stumble, which is that scandalizo. It is that attempt of evil to get us to stumble so that there is this big public devastation and God gets a, you know, a, a scar on his face, you know, or, or we get a scar on our face. And don't worry about it. You know, don't let that, you know, well, I did that. So, you know, I'm done. That's not the case. Instead, let's embrace together the light. Be free. Create a culture where getting set free, not from, you know, we're always trying to put it through the perspective of who hurt me instead of the perspective of who did I hurt. You know, and we did this a few years ago, nothing between us, the, the ways that I have hurt you. And, and if we will embrace the light together in a culture where we recognize that, that we can live above the shame, live above the guilt, so that guilt doesn't hold us down and shame doesn't cause us to hide. So we don't, as you would say, dress up our our shame in a tuxedo, which is pride, right? But instead, yield ourselves to God that, that we, we live outside of the possibility of scandalizo because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Guys, I have sinned. God, guys, I sin. I fall short of the glory of God. I don't want to, but I do. But if we all do, then we have a culture together of being set free. And we're not, we're not glorified by the pedestal of man. We are glorified by what God does through us, and God gets the glory. That's so good. I think I have a similar thread and just impacted in what you're saying you know, I think so often when we think of causing someone to stumble and those scriptures, those words of Jesus, really, that we we can apply that to someone else, a leader, a, a person in a certain position, and not we who walk the way, the way of the Lord. And as you said, it's not about um, living under this burden or pressure of never making a mistake, but but really remembering who we're revealing. That in this journey, we are revealing someone, and how do we want to reveal Him? And having our hearts postured towards that, as opposed to never doing a wrong thing. You know, but who am I revealing? Who, who have I been 
filled with, created from, and, and have the absolute ability to reveal. So, in that, I, a few weeks ago, um, I was walking through our house, Nave, and I was going out for just my, my weight and time with, with Elohim, and I noted that our, our tree that we had for our Jesse tree was still up. We had taken our, our other tree down, but we still, we still today have this up. <laughs> and the lights of it were reflecting in the window in such a way that it made it look like it was our full-size tree. And it was enough that I had to kind of look in the corner and be like, no, we, we took that down, <laughs> you know, because it looked so large and so much larger than it was. And and so, just in that moment, I knew our covenant for the week was going to be magnify. To magnify, to make Him truly the size He is. Not that we ever can fully do that, but, but in whatever our circumstances were, whatever we were walking through in those days, He would be magnified. He would be the biggest view that we had. And so that did become our covenant of the week and, and actually remained that through the next week because it was so, um, it just moved our hearts so greatly that we wanted to, to just let Him multiply the magnitude of it, you know. So, to magnify simply means to make great, to make the biggest Thing, the biggest aspect of no matter what you're walking through or where you are. And, and so with the Lord, to make Him great in our circumstances or to reveal Him in every circumstance that we have, whether wonderful, whether, you know, the no good, horrible, terrible, very bad day <laughs> that Alexander had, um, which no matter what kind of day it is, we would magnify Him. He is where we're looking. So, when it's hard, we're looking to Him for our help. When it's wonderful, we're celebrating Him as our hope. So, um, in that, I really began thinking about Psalm 34 and and just these words David wrote this the song the song he sang and where he was when he sang it and and all the context of that um and so when I did and I'll I'll touch that in a second but when I did I realized that this magnifying was so much about worship worshiping him worshiping the Lord in everything to let nothing hinder us or separate us from worship, from the fullness of worship, that we would be free to worship Him. And, and a word for free in Hebrew is hapash, and it means to be exempt from bondage, tax, or care. So if our hope is to worship Him in all that we do, that means we're invited to a life exempt from bondage, tax, and care. And exempt means never 
never to have it, never to have those things. We're exempt from those things because of our relationship with Him. And I was reminded of um, something I've shared numerous times, but when we were preparing for Antarctica and I had some definite physical limitations that in the natural really made me feel as if I couldn't do it. You know, and and knowing I wasn't going to be able, none of us were doing that that um, expedition without him for sure. But but it it seemed like I really needed some things to heal, not just be better, but heal. And so connecting with him along the way, and him, the Lord asked me, "What does this physical issue really keep you from doing? Like take Antarctica and." you know, heavy boots and snowshoes or anything, you know, skis, anything out of that, what is it hindering? And I realized it was worship because I would worship, I would dance, and I would I would have pain, you know, for several days and kind of be hobbling. And so my pursuit was not to get ready for this trip that was so important to his heart, but to be able to worship him freely, to be exempt from the care of injury and the bondage to pain and all of these things. So, I was reminded of that. And here, he's bringing it forward that this is once again his heart is what hinders you, what hinders you or separates you from worship. And so, looking at that a bit in the context of what would separate us as His people from worship and true worship together, worship where we are abandoned. We are utterly abandoned to who He is to us, and our great desire is to reveal that, is to reveal when we come together what it has been like to have been with Him, what it has been like to magnify Him in every circumstance, in every situation, and to share that together, to reveal that to each other and draw each other nearer to Him through those expressions. So, so we come to Psalm 34, and this is a Psalm of David, and um. In the in the headline of the psalm, it says, "When he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left." So this is written after that has happened, and where David was when he penned these words and really this song was he was in the cave of Adullam, which is where he fled to after his encounter with. Abimelech with this encounter with this king. So, so here is the very first expression. I will magnify the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory. I will glorify the Lord. I will glory in Him, not just about Him, but in Him. I will share this place of glory. Let those afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. 
Their faces are never covered with shame. So first I want to tell you what radiant here means. It's an expression of a mother's face lighting up at the sight of children who were long considered lost. This is this is what David is expressing here. Those who look to him are expectant for the return. This isn't self-focused. This is this is kingdom focused. This is beyond any any palace that David lives in. It is the kingdom of God he is about. So those who look to him are hopeful for the return of those yet to come. Their faces are never co- covered in shame. Why? Because he will do this. He will he will bring this return. But in the returning, he wants a place prepared for them to come, for those who need to return. And those, we can't always or shouldn't probably ever look at that as them, but how many times do we return? Whenever we miss his heart, whenever we are steeped in sin in some way, we have that invitation to return, and hopefully there's somebody with a radiant face welcoming us instead of, as you said, judging and condemning someone and declaring there's no return for someone. So, so David has, <laughs> he has feigned madness and, you know, gone through this process. Now he's in the cave after fleeing. And, and the story of that flight and the cave is also found in 1 Samuel 21 through 22. Uh, begins in verse 10 of chapter 21 and then goes through chapter 22. So, no matter what has happened, David's desperation was to not have a moment where praise wasn't on his lips where he was not magnifying the Lord, where he was not revealing it was God who did it, where he was not revealing who had saved him and the beauty of being saved, how wonderful it is to be saved. And so, it was his heart, right? David's heart was to praise continuously because he always knew who saved him. So, even though David feigned madness. He wasn't foolish enough to give himself the credit. He wasn't foolish enough to believe that he had done that for himself, you know, and he knew the enemy of his heart was fear. Here he is in flight from Saul, and and he's continuously before the Lord and asking in in all of this journey that we we read about in First Samuel twenty one on is the, is is there victory? You know, and how is this going to um, glorify you? But also, like, is this the end? And it it wasn't. There was fear in it, but it was also an expression of I want your will. I want to walk in your will, in your way. And and so the Lord kept saying to him, you're not going to perish at this. You're not going to perish. And he kept inviting David's trust. 
And so in the midst of the most incredibly pressurized time in his life, he made God great. He magnified him. And so here's something of great import. David was not in that cave alone. He enters that cave, and all of a sudden, here he is in distress, and and he's choosing what to do in the midst of his distress, and and all of a sudden, all these other people begin to come to him who are also distressed, and they have all different circumstances. David has been, you know, called king, but he doesn't yet have um, the crown of that, and and you know everything about it looks so unlikely his life is threatened all of these things and so now all these other people come these men come and actually David's family came as well and David went to the king of Moab and said will you give them shelter i don't want them to come to harm because of of where i'm at and so he he gets them to safety and returns to the cave and he's got these people gathered with them and it it says that they were all in distress they were all under this great distress of some kind so david has just come from a really you know we can look at the fear he had in feigning madness but that took great humility too to lessen himself and then come from that and magnify the Lord. So now he's in this cave, and um, First Samuel tells us that at least 400 people in distress came and joined him. And so he doesn't just write these words in the cave. He sings them in the presence of desperate men desperate people, other people that are just as desperate in their situation as he is in his. Every situation is different, but their desperation for the Lord is the same. So, he sings these words over them, I will magnify the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let those who are distressed hear magnify the Lord with me, exalt His name with me. Let's all see how our circumstances have drawn us to Him, and because of that, they've drawn us together. You know, David didn't sit and say, you know, your problem isn't as big as mine, so why are you here? He drew together in that distress, and it became their distress. They began to share each other's distress and recognize the only place they could go. So when David starts praising, he he never once boasted in how he had narrowly escaped this king, but he's boasting in the character of God, in his covenant, in his promises, in his works, in all that which is incomparable to what he could have done for himself. He could have done none of these things. So he drew these desperate people together to magnify the Lord. And in the midst of all of it, they made God great. Because in this psalm, David takes it from himself to them as as a community that they were in that moment. And, you know, there is something so magnetic about praise. 
it draws us together and we can magnify him as one. So, so that was David. He has this moment when distress is shared. There are others in distress and nothing hindered them from worship. Nothing hindered them from becoming one. There was no, there was nothing, there was no conversation that we are told of that caused them to then divide. They actually became a community together. And so, for us, we are in the midst of times that are distressing. You know, if we just look at at the choices we need to make each day just to walk through the day in all that's happening around us, that these are times of distress. And we have the same choice as David. We, we too have a place to be tucked away in the Lord, even though we're not hiding, but we're still hidden in Him. We're not hiding from the world, but we're hidden in Him for the world. And none of us want to be in a fishbowl, right? Like that's not a comfortable feeling for anyone to feel like your every move is being monitored, your every word is being weighed. You know, it's just, that's not a comfortable place. But truly, there is a looking glass that if we would allow ourselves to be seen, it gives a greater view to the kingdom and the king and it it comes through me it comes through each of us and so we can transition from the fishbowl that we don't want to the looking glass that we get to welcome because it is going to be through us that he is seen that the we're a smaller tree of the tree and the light that is upon it within that smaller tree reflects the fullness, the bigness, the, the magnitude of who He is and can be for someone else. So, in this season, there's been an ache that's been awakened in the bride. And, you know, the enemy, it would seem like he's really trying to keep us war-torn, with all of it, you just take that deep breath and it feels like there's another thing. And we can get very self-focused on that, the other thing that comes for us, and forget that there's another thing coming for everybody. There's something more that comes. It, it can feel like each and every day. And it, so it seems like the enemy is trying to keep us war-torn, but really he's trying to cause us to be apathetic. So that there's so much happening, we can't take it in anymore. We can't field it. We can't um, process it, especially if we're, well, because He seeks to get us to process it on our own instead of with the Lord and with each other, really, to be able to, to take those things to the Lord and then share in the journey with each other. So he wants to create an apathy, but there's an ache that, that the Lord has been awakening in his bride. And that is that we don't want we don't want these things to numb us. 
we want to be able to hear the cry of humanity. And so we're longing, the ache is really, we want to lay aside all the contention. We want to lay aside all these battles, the prejudices, the opinions, the errors. And we want to be heard as one because a divided bride can't say as one with the Spirit, come to the Lord. We can't do that when we're divided. And so this ache within us that we're all feeling, the bride is feeling it, is for unity, is for oneness, is for peace. And these days can reveal our war inside us or reveal that we do come in peace because that's how He comes. We come in peace to draw together towards Him. And if I have an ache, that ache is shared by who knows how many people across the world. It has its own uniqueness, but there is a similar ache. And an ache someone else has is shared by a magnitude of people as well. And we can try to kind of be with people that only have our exact same ache instead of realizing we need that ache. We need the echo of it to say, I've never gone through that. But I care that you are. That's never been my experience, but I care that it's been yours. And we get to be anchored to each other's ache instead of trying to avoid it. And to be able to do that, we have to recognize where we're calling the ache pain. And we just want the pain to stop. And so we'll do whatever it takes to make the pain stop instead of allowing that ache to echo and resound so others recognize not the exact same circumstance, but the ache of the bride and know that there's a place to be drawn to. There are radiant faces awaiting this joining, this oneness to come. And so, you know, if the ache becomes has become pain, or you feel it as pain instead of an ache, you'll know because you'll, you won't really want to know fully what the Lord would say. You'll, you'll keep Him at arm's length because if He says it, it'll, it'll, it seems it'll make your pain greater instead of recognizing He's answering the ache because the ache originated in Him. It will cause you to draw away from others because they couldn't possibly understand what you're going through. It'll cause you to isolate if you see it as pain instead of an ache that is meant to, to answer someone else's to join with. So there begins to be this, this cry out to Him that this is all of our distress. This is all of our peril. This is the situation we are all in, and we are one in this distress, which means we're one in His response to it, in His coming and moving us to, to a place to be able to see what His heart is. You know, not just to say, save us, but Show us your heart. We want as one people to see what your heart is for this distress, for what we're walking through. And it takes us away from whether we should do this thing or that thing. And if I did this thing, then we're opposed because you did that thing. Um, you know, saying that 
if you choose this in this circumstance, you're pro this or anti that. You know, it's just all things that oppose us and we can't say as one with the Spirit, come, which is what the ache is, is this oneness, this unity. And so if we can stop confusing our ache for Him and what He can do and what He wants to do and and how He wants to do it with us and stop confusing that ache for pain, we'll stop pushing Him and each other away and begin to come together in ways really we never have. And, you know, it was, it was not long after these moments in the cave, David with these others who were in distress and then delivered, they did come out of that cave. They, they came out and then David cut the corner of Saul's robe and he could have killed him. He could have killed him, but his enemy wasn't Saul. It was his own fear. It was his own fear. And he had this moment where he realized it, where those around him are saying, take him out. Look, he's right there. Because, you know, Saul comes in um, to the, the cave that they're in and, and takes care of business. And they could have, like, they could have taken him out. And David even regretted cutting the corner of his robe, causing any kind of harm to him. But then he comes out and he holds that corner. And we talked about the train and the temple recently in a podcast, but that that was a tradition when you conquered a king or a kingdom, you cut a part of their robe and you added it to your train. So the train that fills God's temple is is about all of those who have come, who have surrendered to him. To, to him being the Lord of their lives. And so David in that moment was saying, I've conquered my fear. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid. If I was afraid, I would have had to kill you because that would have been the only solution I could see. But my God gave me a different strategy. And it was to not be afraid, to let love rule, to let, to let his heart be what actually would be what reigns in me. And so in that moment, Papa's train filled David's temple and David's train filled God's. There was this this victory that looked completely different than what David could have imagined. And he was able to say with that corner of that robe, I've conquered my fear. God's train fills my temple, fills the temple of me. So, um, yeah, just if we can recognize the ache and not try to uh, cast it away as pain, as something we want to be rid of, and let it draw us together and recognize if I'm, I'm aching about something, so is someone else, and we need each other's ache. And it leads to that place of magnifying him together. He begins to look bigger in every one of our situations. It's a it's a shared testimony and it's a wonderful thing. Well, an ache for oneness is um I think the, of course the most beautiful thing that there is. And um it my does it ever reveal 
the selfishness in us because selfishness is what opposes oneness mm-hmm. because because there's um i think i think one of the great conquer for all of us is to be able to say my inherent need to preserve my life mm-hmm. that that reflex of you know self-preservation mm-hmm. you know when you're about you know there's a threat and we all move we we jump away from the threat you know that's mm-hmm. that's a reflex yeah and it's so embedded in all of us that that's the pain mm-hmm. that that is that we call a pain we feel this pain but it's really an ache because because we've crossed that threshold you know that's just where we are where mm-hmm. the you know the the other train is the one that's heading right towards the station yeah and and there's no stops you know mm-hmm. it's it's headed it's right towards the wedding and but that's the train that that fills this temple is mm-hmm. is us as one with the spirit and and what's inhibiting that what's keeping that from happening is is we all have not yet but get to make the choice of letting god touch that place of self-preservation mm-hmm. and understanding and my mom said this a long 40 50 years ago my mom <laughs> said this she said um i finally realized that god wasn't trying to take something that eternal mm-hmm. he was trying to take something temporal right so that i could have the eternal yeah and so then it wasn't a take it was an offer yeah. So now we offer to God the temporal. Yeah. Which is the self-preservation. It's not going to be there 17 trillion years from now. And we want God to take it, you know, when we're not looking. You know, it's like dying in your sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to go to sleep tonight and God just reaches in my heart and takes it out. Yeah. Please. But, but yeah, but but what really needs to happen is is that we as a people all of us, individually and collectively, choose to give God our self-preservation. Yeah. And if we'll do that, if we'll do that as a people, then um, then the pain turns to ache. Yeah. We'll see the pain through the truth of ache, and we'll begin aching for everyone who has yet to make yeah. that choice. That's going to be in the bride. Yeah. When we push away from him or each other, avoid each other, we're really avoiding the ache. And it is all about self-preservation. It's about preserving our life the way it is. And if you really look at where we are in these days, while it does seem (laughs) distressing, there's, the truth is, he has this place he's calling us to, and he's really, it's really a, a garden return, you know, and and everybody would have different views of what that looks like and means, and all I mean by it right now is that was the journey of Adam and Eve, man and woman, mankind, humankind, was to reconcile the things of the world and the relationships within the world to worship, that it would all be worship. And I think through these past two years, I guess, just 
picking a time spot didn't necessarily start right there. But I think there's a, a recognition that maybe relationships haven't always been as full. And when somebody does something that does feel like pain to us, that hurts us, it's really touching that ache for oneness. And so in a moment when it feels like we're not one with someone, it it activates that ache in a real way. And so I think we've had the invitation to see where even relationships haven't been worship, where the things we've been doing, even for Him, for the world, in the world, all of that hasn't been worship. And that's what He's trying to restore that it would all be worship because it's with Him. And so we get to reconcile relationships. We get to look and say, you know, that relationship was about what was feeding me, not about how we're being sustained together. You know, whatever it is, you could have many examples, but that's that's what he, His heart is to restore for us, among us, within us. So, it's, it's really incredible days when we can have that magnified view of who He longs to be to us in this day and who's he, who, who He's inviting us to be to, to reveal to each other and, and that it is meant to be worship and it's okay to discover there were some places where that wasn't true, but now can that be our truth that we're, we're aimed for? You know, that we want to restore worship. We want Him to be magnified. We want people in this world to see Him as He truly is and come and, and have a radiant place to come to where there is no shame. There's no shame. Yeah, you know, um, magnifying God is the greatest rescue that there is because the whole point is that is that laying down self-preservation is impossible it is impossible which is why with with man with humanity this is impossible but with god all things are possible which means if we choose to lay it down we've made ourselves weak by that choice but when we're weak who is strong God is strong. Yeah. And we've we've magnified him by our choice of weakness, by choosing to lay down our self-preservation. It's a choice. And but making that choice puts God in motion because we've lowered ourselves. You know, we've we've just been real, you know. I don't want to be selfish. And my selfishness is not going to exist 17 trillion years from now. So I could pray that. Let's pray that right Mm -hmm. now. Papa, we choose right now to be weak so that you can be strong. We choose to lay down our self-preservation. We choose to take up our cross daily and deny ourself so that the self goes away. And even though, being very honest, our self is precious to us. But it is, that is our manifestation of gouging out our eye or cutting off our hands or feet or, or uh, putting a millstone around our necks and being drowned in the depths of the sea. That's our expression of it is giving you our self, giving you our selfishness. And so we hand it to you and, 
We are weak. You are strong. You are magnified. We praise you together because when you are great, you do the impossible. All things are possible when you are magnified. And so we choose you. We raise you up. We ask you to be the God who receives our selfishness so that it can go to the eternal fire now and we can have the resurrection of who we were created to be, a bride whose train fills the temple. Mm -hmm. And we may just need to feign madness once in a while, which simply means to recognize our thoughts have not been your thoughts and our ways have not been your ways, but we want to be humble enough to recognize that and, and return and have praise on our lips as we do. Just coming in, singing uh, to each other, over each other about you. That I, I think that's in Romans. I don't remember where the scripture is about. That by the Spirit, they sang songs to each other. They were ever praising you together. And we just want that to be us. And we're grateful for your invitations. In Jesus' amazingly majestic and mighty name, amen. Amen. We'll see you tonight. See you tonight. Love you all.